Open your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Yeah, I'm just going to jump into it, so here we go. Um, we're in a series right now called More Than Conquerors. Uh, we felt challenged uh, for us not just to go through a series with the men. The men are going through a conquer series. We actually believe that God is speaking to us uh, at Gateway. And Gateway, for you, if you don't know it, we are one church in two locations. We actually are going through this together. So that's why last week, Peter Todd came up and he came and preached in the south. While Peter was preaching in the south, I was preaching at Panet. And then it's kind of jumping through that. We're actually swapping through the pulpit because we have a message for Gateway. We feel that God is speaking to us um, in these days and it's about getting closer to him. Uh, on our first day at the Conquer Series, we had actually over 100 men come to the Conquer Series. And with that, we're almost or over a dozen young people as well. So if you get it, God is speaking to a lot of us. But again, it's not just about God wanting to speak to the, hey, this is the men. It's actually about us as a community. And it's for us to align ourselves to his purposes. So Peter shared from last week, Romans 8, the qualities of a conquering community. Uh, so please, if you've not heard from it, if you weren't here on Sunday, check it out online. Um, and if you don't, you can even catch it on the Panet uh, message as well. So there you go. That's... So, this morning, what am I talking about? We are more than conquerors, amen? Through him who loves us. But the, the title for this is, we are more than conquerors, because God's grace makes it possible. God's grace makes it possible. Well, what is grace? Um, I'm gonna, I would define grace as this. Grace is God at work. God at work is it. And, and it's ultimately revealed through a demonstration on the cross. The cross is God at work. Do you, under, do you believe that? If someone was to say, How, what, what is grace? We all go, the cross. But what is the cross? The cross is God doing his work. See, we are not more than conquerors by simply pulling up our bootstraps and trying harder. It's through Christ who lives and works in us. See, the opposite of grace is me at work. It's me trying to do it by myself, and it's when I realize I can't do it, and then hear God say, but I can, it opens the door for God to help me. That is grace. And God now saying, I want to give you grace to live out this. So let's read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that all those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Isn't that awesome? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I can't wait for a new creation on this body, but I won't go there anyway. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses or their sins against them. 
I want to repeat that. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. If you have any way of underlining that, putting that in your memory, please, this is the, one of these good scriptures you need to hear that. God not holding our sins against us. And entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then this one is for all of the, like this, this I cannot express is every fiber in my being, the, the point. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when I understand grace and start from it as God's work, this is what Paul was talking about. It helps me to respond with grace in a broken world. How many of you know we have a very broken world? How many of you know you need grace to live in a broken world? You see, when you understand grace... Everything flows. It actually makes uh, sense in some ways in a world that's broken. Because when you get grace, it's weird, but grace now gets you. And it releases God's love so that you can be more than a conqueror. Because how do you become a conqueror in a place where everything's broken? How do you actually say you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you unless you understand this really neat thing called grace? Because you're not overcome by the darkness, but you then become overcomers through his love and light. So this morning, this is the question. How can we be more than conquerors? God's grace makes it possible. Okay, two people are nodding their heads. God's grace makes it possible. And I want that to sink in. Because often this is our challenge. Really? Yeah, really? We can do all things through him who loves us? Well, so how do we do this? Let's explain. God's grace makes it possible because there's really, there's three things to this. One is this, because his love controls us. Paul wants to share with you how this is possible. And he starts by saying in 1 Corinthians 5, or 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for us, for us all, that those who might live may no longer live for themselves, but for him for their sake died and was raised. Now, the word that Paul is using is this word when he says controlled. Some say the word compelled. But it's not accurate. The word is sunikeo. He uses the word in the Greek called sunikeo. And sunikeo, it means this. The word sunikeo means to hold together. So you get this picture of a hand closing in over top of something. You ever grab a frog or a cricket from moving? That's the kind of the picture you get. Sunikeo. God sunikeo, his love... His love is sunikeoing you. Okay, that's the first picture. It also means to hold with constraint or to compress. Um, 
The other picture is this, which I like. It's called the picture of a cattle squeeze. Is there anyone here that knows farming? Anyone that knows? Oh, yeah, we've got a few farmers. Anyone from Alberta, you might be understanding. What's a cattle squeeze? Well, what a cattle squeeze is this, is as their herd is going through, they, they funnel the herd into the fence, into an area where it actually funnels into a place where they, they have to go in one at a time, and it narrows it down into the cattle squeeze, which is this apparatus right here, where the cow comes in, and they literally put the head through the cow, and then it kind of cinches in, and now this cow is totally, totally, utterly amazed. It can't move. Oh, you guys are terrible. Utterly amazed. Never mind. Okay. No, no. Okay. Moo. Boo. Bad joke. No, no. There we go. What I'm saying is this. is It gets constrained. It cannot move. It is now sunokeoed. It has the ability now for that farmer to go in and minister medicine. It cannot fight it. There is no, I have an ability to say no. That's what he's talking about. That's the word that Paul is using. The love of God sunokeos me. Okay? It's no polite thing. It's, he's talking about it holding completely. A prisoner uses that term in Ephesians. To be held with, willing to suffer from. Willing to suffer. Well, Paul's saying God's love controls him. He's not saying, I'm doing this. Hey, I'm doing all this stuff called ministry. I'm doing all this thing because I grew up in the church. He's not saying it because I get a paycheck. He's not saying I'm doing this because there's some great glorious fame in it. What is making him do what he does is God's love. But I'm going to ask you a question which, when I was reading this, it impacted me. What controls you and I? Are we controlled by our feelings and passions, our flesh? Often I think, you know, what pleases me? Or I ask the question, what, what is often in the driver's seat in, in my life? What it means to live in grace is we're allowing God's love to, to have the final say. This constant squeezing so you're not in control. Do you like having control? How many of you out there just secretly are control freaks? It's not a secret. Um, I, 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 I want to pray for just so understanding the difference between men and women. Uh, I do think that women might struggle this a little bit more just because uh, when my wife, and last week we, she was going to Calgary. She goes to Calgary and she says, she, she's like worried about every little detail. Oh no, honey, please don't kill our kids with pizza overdose. I promise you nothing. <laughs> let it go, let it go. It was a restart anyway. See, when I, when I think of what, what's holding me and what's doing that, you, you know you're being more than a conqueror when you're operating out of God's love. But God's love, this is where it's interesting, it's unlimited. Scripture describes God's love as unlimited, un- never-ending. And when you, this is when you know that you're being controlled because you're actually operating out of something that is not your ability. Paul's, or, sorry, Paul talks about God's love like this in Romans 8. He says that there's either ne- death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God. 
we were singing about, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. We sing it, but now what does that mean, living in that? That's, the, that's what he's talking about. This overwhelming, never-ending, living, this love is what's controlling me. And I love that idea that because then it's saying nothing can stop it. There's no shadow, no break. There's nothing that stops that love. End point. And the neat thing is you're going to, you and I, although we, just to give you an idea of how unlimited or unending it is, we will be spending eternity finding that love out. It's like when you think you've got it, he goes, no, no, let me show you more. Well, let me show you more. Let me show you more. Again, we cannot comprehend God's love being unlimited. But what does that love controlling you look like? Well, it's like this. In mid nineteen and May 1945, the Allies are marching into Holland to the unspeakable joy of the Dutch people. And despite the distractions of her work, one of the survivors, a, la- a, lori- a lady named Corey, was still restless, and she des- desperately missed her beloved Betsy. And Betsy had died in prison while they were held captives by the Germans. But now she remembered Betsy's word, that they must tell others what they had learned. So thus began, for more than three decades of traveling around the world, as the tramp of the Lord. And this was Corrie Ten Boom, as she described herself. She told her story of God's forgiveness of sins and the need of people to forgive those who had harmed them. She had survived the Holocaust. But it was put to the test in 1947 while speaking in a Munich church. At the close of the service, a balding man in a gray overcoat stepped forward to greet her. And Corey froze. She knew this man very well. He'd been one of the most vicious guards at Ravensbrook. One who had mocked the women prisoners as they showered. And this is what Corey says in her book. It came back with a rush, she wrote. A huge room with all its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking past this naked, walking past naked in front of this man. And now he was pushing his hand out to shakers and saying, A fine message, Fraulein! How good it is for us to know that you say all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so ghibli of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocket rather than take that hand. He, would, he could not remember me, of course. How could he remember the prison among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, I went on, and I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the same hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins have been had again and again had to be forgiven, and I struggled to forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? I couldn't. The soldier stood there expectantly, waiting for Corey to shake his hand, and she wrestled the most difficult thing she'd ever had to do, for she had to do it. She knew that the message that God forgives is a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. And so she stood there in front of this former SS man, and Corey remembered something, that forgiveness is an act of the will, not an emotion. Does God have control? 
So she said, Jesus, help me. She prayed, and I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. So Corey thrust out her hand, and as she did, an incredible thing took place. Corey recalls this current started in her shoulder and raced down her arm, and it sprang into the joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood her whole being, bringing tears to her eyes. I forgive you, brother, she cried with all my heart. For a long moment, they grasped at each other's hand, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my own. I had tried. I had, did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's what it means to have God's love control you. When you think you do not have the ability... He says, let my overwhelming, never-ending love take over. And this is why freedom is absolutely central to Jesus' teaching, the heart of our message. God's grace makes it possible to, to let his love take control. You see, Jesus gives us a picture of who God is and he forgives us and shows us the way to live. But the cross is saying, I don't hold your sins against you. How can you hold the sins of others? How? How? Grace enables us to love. And God's grace makes it possible. The second one is this. God's grace makes it possible because his love changes the way we look at people. And this is super crucial because that's what the prophetic words were totally tying into this morning. Paul is talking to the church and he says grace makes it possible. But he says this. From from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, what does it mean to regard someone according to the flesh? What does that mean? It means seeing people by a worldly set of standards, which is opposite of what God sees. In other words, it's saying this. It means to, we have a distorted way of seeing them. I'll give an example. Pharisee Paul. Paul said he used to have a, a according to the flesh view of Jesus. Paul used to look at, at Jesus and he said, I had a distorted view. When I saw Jesus, I first thought him as a heretic. I kind of saw him as this, this person that was actually doing, taking people away from God. I regarded him as the flesh. But now, rather than a false prophet... He sees Jesus completely different. The Holy Spirit has opened up his eyes, changed everything in how he's viewing Jesus. Another example of this, seeing someone according to the flesh, is an example like this. It's a guy in the Bible, in the Old Testament. His name is Jesse, David's dad. Now, the one thing that we want to share with you ladies, we are not repeating the Conquer series to you. We're actually talking about what does it mean to be more than conquerors. But this one point, I'm going to steal from the Conquer series because it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was this illustration that they were talking about of, um, you see, 
in the Conquer series, why did David look towards Bathsheba? Although David loved the Lord, knew his commands, suddenly David fell into sin. And one of the things that they, they talk about in the, in the Conquer series, they say, what, it's possible that he had some deep spiritual wounds. And those wounds would have made him or led him to lo- look for love in all the wrong places. Do you know there are many times, many people that are simply looking for love in all the wrong places? But even this, do you know there are often Christians who can start looking for love in all the wrong places. We look for things that will medicate and help. You know, this is fun, and this, but it can actually even overtake God. They're called idols. Oh, we don't have those in our modern-day Christianity. Certainly we do. But look, look what this said. Why, David, well, when did David get such a wound? Why would they go with that? Well, think about this. The Bible shares when Samuel goes to Jesse's house to look for the future king, Jesse lines up his sons, Samuel sees the oldest, and what does Samuel say? Surely this is the guy. Look at him. Look at him on the outward appearance. He's tall, he's handsome, he's charismatic. This is the guy. And what does God say to, 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 to Samuel? Whoa, whoa. Haha, <laughs> nope, nope. He was... Uh, by the way, uh, Jesse, or Samuel, God does not look on the appearance or the height of his stature. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so, Samuel goes, that's, that, that's not the one. Okay? And he brings all of his sons through, and that's none of them? And Samuel's kind of going, well, do you have anyone else? Is there any of your sons left? And this is what's important, because Jesse says something. He says, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Now, again, the word youngest is actually a poor translation. Poor. uh, Hakatan or katan, kutan, you can say it either way. I'm not Jewish, so I I might butcher it. But here's what katan says that word youngest, can actually be translated as insignificant or unimportant. Oh, there is the unimportant one in the field or the insignificant one. Imagine growing up, your dad always thinking you are insignificant or unimportant. Pretty deep wound, eh? But that was what happened with David. Had a call in his life, God speaking to him, but there is something in his side saying, but I feel absolutely unimportant. I feel absolutely insignificant. I think like this, this is what I love about why we did the prophetic like that. How many of you go, oh, that's great that Derek got a prophetic word. Oh, he's so important. He's so special. I'm not. Ever have that? Uh, that's not the way God thinks, does he? That isn't actually... That's a, that's, that's a regarding a flesh thinking. But Paul says, don't do this. Because when we often put, see people, we put them into four categories. We put them into favored, or we say they're boring, or they're broken, or they're a loser. That's kind of our four categories, I think, that we look at. But my question for you is, what does God see? And more importantly, I'm going to ask you, what... Do you see? See, if you looked in the mirror, what would you put yourself? Well, 
God's grace makes it possible to change the way we first see ourselves. You see, there is no second-class citizen in the kingdom. But did you know God has favorites? Wait a second, Norm. He has favorites? Yeah. God has favorites. Did you know Aaron's his favorite? Do you know Jordan is his favorite? Oh, Beth is definitely God's favorite. Della, Mary. Oh, Mary! Mary! Sydney! And, and, and I go, okay, but no, no, whoa, whoa, wait. Okay, it's not, in our brain, we can't comprehend that idea. No, you can't have everybody as a favorite. That's not, if I said that, oh, Ruth's my favorite, and Stephen's my favorite, and Lindsay's my favorite, you guys would go, it would totally diminish that idea of favorite, because you, you can't love that way. But God can. He can love us with unlimited love. He can say, my favorite is Phil. And not have any discrepancy. They say, Dwayne is my favorite. He loves us so much that we go, really? But we don't believe that, do we? Do we regard ourselves as in the flesh? Sometimes there's a huge wound that we have to do with because we actually, we think God has put us on the bench. And you know what? God does not put actually a lid on anyone. If he moves you on from glory to glory... What does that mean? He no longer sees you even within your sins. He actually sees who you are in Christ. When he looks in the mirror, who does he see? He sees Jesus. He does not see your sins. Why do you see your sins? Why do you see unless you are regarding in the flesh? Oh, Lord, can you just baptize our eyes right now in Jesus' name? Lord, can you release this idea that we are favorites this morning? Not because of anything we've done. Your grace makes it possible. God makes it possible also, though, the way we change how we see others, not judging others, in other words, to, to regard someone lustfully. God can actually make it possible to change my, my, how I regard someone in the flesh, to not look down on someone or look like I'm above them, or to attribute wrong motives into someone when some something when someone says. See, God's grace makes it possible to overcome the temptation even to slander a brother or sister. Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgive one another, as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Ask yourself, did you say anything this week to someone according to the flesh? Did you say something that slandered someone? Well, they always do that. This is the thing I'm asking God. Can, if we believe that the Holy Spirit can actually help us to speak in tongues, can the Holy Spirit help us to take control of our tongue so that we speak words of kindness to people? And if you, I, I started to, I can't preach this. I had to repent many times because I realized how often I'm saying things. But God having go, you know, you kind of are actually speaking negative about that person. And I had to come back and say, I'm sorry. My wife is so gracious. My kids are so gracious. Grace makes it possible. And this week, you might even realize you have a distorted view of someone, and God, help me to stop speaking like that towards them.
They're made in the image of God. Created. There is no junk. Because while we were yet still sinners, he died for us. Maybe I need to see the Jesus in them again. That every single human being, God said, you are worth dying for. You know what's neat about the prophetic? The prophetic is this, is me being able to prophesy what I think God is saying in them. Finding the treasure. You want to learn to grow in prophetic? Learn how to love people like you've never loved before. You see the Jesus in them and what God, and speak it out into them. That was extra, it's not my notes, but anyway. God makes it all possible. I'm just going to zip through these last pictures so we can go to the last point. So it's, it's, we'll go into this one. So God's grace makes it possible. This is the last and third point because I have to end on this. God's grace makes it possible because this is the last point and if we can get this, we get everything. You get this, you will understand grace and grace will get you and it will flow. You want to talk about being more than a conqueror? You get this one verse and it will radically change you. So I have to get this verse out. And this is what it is. God's grace makes it possible because he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm almost done. I'm getting there. (laughs) See, this has to be our ending place. If it starts and ends with God, the opposite of grace is me at work. Remember that. It's me trying to do it on myself. It's It's when I realize I can't do it And then I hear God say, but I can. That's grace. It's about God's work, and it requires us to place him first before us. Read that scripture. God made him, Jesus, Jesus who had no sin, Jesus who lived a life of perfection, and not because it was easy. He was tempted every way we've been tempted. You've... You haven't faced a temptation or a sin that Jesus has not faced. He understands everything we're going through, and yet he is not distant and not disconnected from us. He knows what it means to be wounded and betrayed by people. He knows he knows. He is not far off. Yet he was without sin. He did absolutely Nothing wrong. Why? Because God made Jesus to be sin for us. That's what happened at the cross. Jesus came not just to show us the way to live or to be a good teacher. He came to go to a cross to become our sin. And I'm going to put it into an accounting terms. If you, Any of the accountants in here? You guys, you can help me with this understanding a little bit of what it means in a transaction kind of idea. To put it in this terms, we're messed up. We live in sin. We have a a prideful life, an arrogant life, and a me life that isn't submissive to God. And Christ has this perfect life without sin. And there's this transaction that took place at the cross. Jesus, Norm, And this is the picture. I actually think this is the picture that we can have when we get to heaven and we can have it or think like this. And I'll show you what it looks like. Again, yeah, take this. It works. So what's going to happen is this. We have this picture 
that we're going to go up to the gates, and we're going to, they're going to, I'm going to get to the gates, and I'm going to go, okay, and they're going, Norm, oh, Norm, here, can you put your retina scan? They're going to put me on a retina scan. This is taking, you know, thumbprint, and they go, oh, yes, Mr. Zazalak, oh, we know you. And as soon as they do that, what will happen then at that point is 17 semi-trucks of data is just going to pull up, because, you know, accountants have a lot of information. They keep a lot of data. And all of a sudden, it's like, they're going to file all the stuff of Norm. Every word, everything done is going to be just filed out. And I'm standing there going, oh. And what's going to happen at this point is, and now imagine, it's not, we can't do it, but if it's possible, they're going to file everything out on one card. Every single stuff, junk thing that Norm has done. It's going to be like, oh. And I imagine what's going to happen is they're going to, it's going to get filed down, they're going to give it to the angels, and the angels go, ooh, that's, ooh, that's loaded, that's heavy. Uh, wow, Norm, uh, you're, this isn't looking too good, bud. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, look at all, look at all that stuff. And, and they're going to, I'm going to be like, ah, uh, and they're going to go, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, here, hey, Jesus, can you, and they're going to pass it over to Jesus, and Jesus is going to go, ooh, wow, yeah, that's a lot of stuff, Norm. Uh, you're a hot mess. Like, this is not good. Um, I got an idea. I'm perfect. I, I'm Jesus. So what I'm going to do is, I'm just going to sign the back. Hand it to the angels. So I'm going to be standing, the angels are going to go, I'm going to, and they're going to pass through the angels, and I'm like, okay. And they're going to go like, ooh, Norm. That, you stuck, that's just, and I'm like, read the back. <laughs> Please read the back. Read, look, turn it over, turn it. And then they're going to go, yeah, ooh, and then they're going to go, oh, Jesus. Jesus signed it. Come on in. Let's go, you know, and then it's going to be like, yeah, you just come on in, and, we're gonna, and that's what's going to happen, right? No, no, it's bad theology. Terrible theology. <laughs> it's terrible, terrible theology. Jesus did not ma- wave a magical wand to take away all of that. You've got to understand that if we think that way, grace, that's not grace. That is not an understanding what we just read in that scripture. He was without sin, became sin for us. He took all of my stuff. I am getting done for crying out loud. Please, I'm trying it. I I will. He didn't just take away my sin. He didn't just wave a magic wand and wash me. He became sin for us. The cost of my sin and failure, he paid for it. That's why this is amazing grace. I don't know what kind of love that would take that and say, I will give you that, but then I'm going to give you this. You get my righteousness. What an incredible transaction. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. And you don't have any, like if you understand the price and the cost for everything, it changes you. That's grace. That's the love of God that we're talking about that actually makes everything possible. 
It changes us. It flows through us. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us when you understand a grace like that. It's not cheap. It's not saying that our sins are just magically taken away. They're actually paid for. And I no longer am held by those sins, but I recognize the cost. And so this morning, that's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for two things. When I understand the grace that start from God's work and the cost, it's changing me. It helps me to deal with the world with, with this grace. It helps me to understand how, you look, how he looks at me. And it tells me how I can be gracious to those. He is not holding our sins against us. So how can I? Everything flows. You get grace and grace gets you because it, it's God at work. It gives you this power to deal with a broken world, a world that will betray, a world that and we look at the cross and we're able to say, but Lord, thank you for your love that comes into me. I receive it now in your precious son's name. God's grace makes it possible. And I ask the worship team to come on up. God's grace makes it possible. We are more than conquerors to live in a broken world. Why? Because God's makes, grace makes it possible because his love controls us. God's grace makes it possible because his love changes the way we look at others. Oh, but this is the best one. God's grace makes it possible because he who is without sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know how powerful and transforming that is? Some of you might, again, if you feel like you are ever stuck or things cannot change, I want to take you to the cross. Really? You're stuck. He who would pay that price makes you say you're stuck? Don't you just want to worship him? He loves everybody. You look at people totally different when this happens. I look at people and wow, that's a favorite. That's a, wow, they're favorites. Wow, I'm favored. And I see anyone through that lens. So Lord, we thank you. Let your grace just flow into us like a heal us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.